Everybody, it's Friday, January the 12th, 2024, and welcome to How to Restart a Church, the new weekly sh- spin-off show where I, Pastor Trey Comstock, and my friend and colleague, Pastor Emily Larson, explore what it means to make church happen or make it start all over again. So for for this week's How to Restart a Church, this is one of those, you know, sometimes we have guests, sometimes we have cl- topics, and the s- topic's clearly in mind, and then sometimes the algorithms of the internet feed me something, and, it, you know, it, it, it makes me think, and so, you know, here we are. And so I stumbled, I, a, a lot of our stuff comes from RNS, Religious New, uh, Religion News Service, because, you know, some, these people cover the world that we live in, and they have, a lot of times we're, talking about like statistics or whatever or um happenings but they also have an editorial team and uh uh karen a swallow prior who is a uh professor of english christianity and culture at southeastern baptist theological seminary uh wrote a piece back in november that i stumbled upon uh recently uh, entitled don't go into a relationship or institution thinking to change them and it's a really interesting argument. She frames it around that she teaches undergrads, and because when you teach undergrads and, and having worked with undergrads and been an undergrad, this is true, you end up wanting to give them relationship advice. And one of the things you want to tell them, one of the things you, yeah, we've been there, one of the things you want to tell them is, hey, don't go into a relationship thinking you're going to change somebody, which I'll agree, is remarkably good relationship advice. That uh, people do change, but do not necessarily think, oh, by being in this relationship, I'm going to transform this person. Um, that is certainly good advice uh, for dating. But, but she makes an interesting leap in this piece that got my mind turning. That we should not approach churches or institutions in that same way that we should not go into a relationship with an institution or a relationship with a church and think that we are going to change it in our in having that relationship and i so i i hear it but also i don't know Right. Like, I'm not sure if I 100% agree with it, but I see the logic behind the argument of like the the similarities that she's made between relationships between people and relationships with people and their institutions or relationships with people and their um you know religious organizations as well. It is hard to think that way though because we're in the business of transformation. Right? right. Like we we are in this profession because we hope to see positive change in the world in the individual person and in the world as a whole, as we hope to bring about this kingdom of God change. Um, 
So it's hard to read that article and go, well, yes, I see the logic, but also is it really true? Because we like to be in the business of transformation, right? We like to see change. We are actively working for change in the world. So it's, it's tricky to read. So it was I'll, a tricky I'll, read for I'll, me. I'll, I'll, read, cause it, I'll, I'll read the kind of relevant paragraphs uh, verbatim. Uh, this is this is reading um, from um, the piece entitled "Don't Go into a Relationship or Institution Thinking We Can Change Them" by Karen Swallow Pryor. Um, making sure that you know, do the internet good of these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. Okay, now we've covered it. <laughs> now to be clear, no human institution or community is perfect. Every human institution and community and person can be and is influenced by others whether for good or ill. I firmly believe that we can and do make a difference by our mere existence, our presence, and our very person, wherever we are. This, this is what it means to be human, to be in this world, and to be charged by God to be faithful to him and to one another. But, as, but it is as true for institutions as it is for people, we ought not go in expecting to change them. Instead, we must accept them for who and what they are or aren't and enter into relationships or not based on who and what they are. I hear that. Mm -hmm. But also, that puts in to frames a world where you can opt in or opt out. That becomes tricky to my thinking when the thing, the institution that we are talking about is the capital C church. Right. Right. Because, you know, we, we often, I, I am often deeply critical of the, the, what I think of as the theological heresy. And, you know, I can be a Christian, just as good a Christian on my tractor as I can in a church. No, right. Because <laughs> that's not how this works. That's not how this works, right? Like a, 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 you know, a scriptural frame for how this faith is practiced is this faith is practiced in community, and right. so we are not meant to opt out of Christian community, and so but. But if you're part of this Christian community and you see that you have to accept it as is and not expect it to change based on your relationship with it, that's a difficult pill to swallow. Um, there's, a, there's a similar kind of mindset. So it, it almost helps me to think of it like, um, so in medicine, physicians can treat the same disease in two different patients the same way. And in patient A, it will work. And in patient B, it will not um, because they're always saying, this is why physicians say they're always practicing medicine, right? You, we don't know the formula. Um, but because in the end, it's not really up to the physician whether or not healing takes place, that there is still a mystery there, that it is God that's doing the healing. Um, and so maybe if we frame it in such a way that we recognize that it is not us doing the changing, but that it is God doing the transforming, that we just get to be a part of it. Um, and that the formula that worked in Congregation A may not work in Congregation B, but that we have to trust and accept Congregations A and B as they are, that when we 
come into this Christian life, when we uh, enter into this Christian community, that we accept one another as we are and where we are, but also expect for there to be this change, um, that we get to be a part of this change, and that maybe we just anticipate and get on board with the change that God is already doing, um, instead of trying to, I don't know, change the partner in the relationship, right? <laughs> right. I, 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 yeah, yeah, this clearly, like, right, you know, I read this piece and like, well, I, we have to talk, we have to, I have to talk about this. I have to, pro and it's not, right. pro it's not talk about this because I think I have an answer, but because it is a fascinating what it is not the way I think about it, but it also connects with things I have, I run into sometimes, right? <laughs> Where, you know, we are part of, you know, you and I are part of a large mainline denomination with its kind of very entrenched way of being. And we have spent, you know, a lot of our lives trying to get it to be not, I would not frame it as something else, frame it right. as being what it was, you know, what it set out to be, right? What it set out to be originally, right? Getting back to its roots of, right. you know, think, being a big tent and, and all of those well, things. Well, being a big tent and being a place for everybody and being a place yeah. that inherently values people, not, uh, you know, that is inherently, you know, with working folks, not a, not a country club, right? We have right. this, you know, we, we've talked about it a lot, like, you know, Methodism has this great history, both in Britain and the United States, and now uh, in Africa, of being a very much of the people in the midst right. of real working life, whether it was the, you know, poor of rapidly industrializing England, whether it was the frontier here in America, uh, whether it is, you know, the amazing work that's happened in Africa um, over the last century. Like, this has been very much a, uh, in the midst of very real life kind of thing. And, I think of a lot of my work in the denomination and my work in the churches I've been a part of is how do we get back to that, right? That it's not right. something that is trying to impose something that is outside us, but call us to the values that call us to live into the values that we hold, that we already have. And and I do think that that, so the references that are made in the article um, are very helpful to me because I like all of the fiction and uh, novels that she mentioned. Um, so, but it's, it's recognizing that it was that way all along, right? So in Pride and Prejudice, you know, Lizzie Bennet just recognizes that Mr. Darcy was in fact this way all along and gets rid of her you know, prejudices, um, in, yeah, you know, so, yes, but also, things like that. So, but, but I mean, she's a professor of English and so maybe she, she, you know, right. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll put my, you know, undergrad understanding. It was mild. I've been mildly obsessed with pride and prejudice since I was 11. Um, I was, I, I, cause I had it, I had it as a, as a book on tape. Um, when I was like 11, 
Um, That's a little young for Pride and Prejudice, but... Um, I first watched the BBC version of Pride and Prejudice in fifth grade when I was 12. Um, I got attacked by ants, and I'm very allergic to ant bites, and so my feet swelled up really bad. And, and anyways, I couldn't go to school for several days, and so I sat upstairs in my parents' house watching Pride and Prejudice on VHS. So, I, well. I, I, again, I'm not a professor of English, but I, I do have like a pretty good recall of Pride and Prejudice. And I would argue that Darcy does change. Really? I, I Yes. He learns to open up. Right? That he, his character, his fundamental character might not change. Some of right. the journey of Pride and Prejudice is realizing, oh, actually, it turns out Darcy's just a good guy. He just right. doesn't make good first impressions. Right. But I think he also learns to be more expressive to let he learns to let lizzie in to that like by the end of it he realizes that he has not he is not a bad person but that he you know, he does all of these good things and you get this, this, the, the, the Darcy lore dump of you think I did this. Well, actually I did all of these things. Well, right. Well, why didn't you, why didn't you say so Darcy? Why didn't right. you say so from the, anyways. So I, 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 you know, I don't know. I, I think so, Darcy so maybe it's not. Change. I think they both change. I think yeah. what Austin is getting at, what I think Austin's getting at, Jane Austen's getting at, it's literary circle. Uh, what I think Austin's getting at is they both change some. She learns to let go of her prejudice, right? Um, but he learns to let people in, to be a little more open. So maybe it's that accepting people as they are and where they are that the author of today's article is also trying to get at. Um, recognizing the good and accepting the person as a whole or the institution as a whole um, from the inside out or because she also makes the argument of, you know, leaving the institution or leaving the, the things that are not serving you well, um, which goes back to the point that you were saying that we don't have that option to opt in, that we are not meant to opt in or opt out of the church capital C. I get that. Like, I get um, that I could opt out of, I am not going to, but I get that I could opt out of, by her logic, I could opt out of the United Methodist Church. Right. And still be part of the and church capital, of the capital C. C church. But right. every corner of the capital C church, even a corner you create yourself, right. is going to have struggles because... This is I. I was. This is the second time in two days I've talked about Reinhold Niebuhr, right? But but this idea of Christian realism, where mm-hmm. like because we're living in a fallen world and we're fallen humans, we're go, right. going to be unintended consequences of our actions. That doesn't yes. get us out of acting. It just means we right. have to accept there's going to be unintended consequences of our actions. Scale that up to but church. that. That means that in the church, made of imperfect people we are not going to do church perfectly. We're not going to do church perfectly. And therefore there will always be need for reform of the capital C church. I, you know, I get like, you know, I, I talk about like 
we talk about John Wesley a lot too. Um, I tattooed him on my body, right? Like uh, Wesley body art. Um, like John Wesley ends up, sets out to change the Church of England, ends up founding a separate denomination, not his intention, right? I get that. Right. But at the same time, I, this, I, maybe, you know, again, we don't have her on to interview her, but like, a, this logic is, I think, has a danger to it, right? That don't reform, leave. Right. Is right. one of those core, like, hey, you can choose to be part of this institution or not. If you can be choose part of be a church or not. If it's not good for you, leave. Well, but then, but then nothing, then do we just, we've, but then we nothing will found be. new things right. to replace Right. right. Well, and this is where you turn church into consumerism of, you know, well, at this church, I didn't get, you know, I wasn't fed this way or I wasn't. And so you end up church shopping and it, it becomes very much an act of consumerism instead of an act of participation within a community of, you know, your religious peers. It, it becomes, you know, what can the church do for me? Ask not what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church friends. Um but it, it it shouldn't be a consumeristic adventure when you go to church on a Sunday or whatever day of the week. Right. So I, I think about in our own context, right? And and thinking about we're thinking about our own work over, you know, our lifetimes. Like mm-hmm. we have seen churches radically change. Yes. Radically change. For the better and for but- the worse. But in this discussion, for the better. Um, Right. And we've been blessed to be able to be a part of some of those processes. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I also admit that many of the frustrations of my life are, you know, uh, the Methodist (laughs) church, the Methodist church as denomination and Methodist church as individual churches, inability to, you know, whatever, adapt, overcome, whatever um but we've seen it happen like it does it it does happen churches do transform institutions can change um i would say slower than individuals but we've also seen individuals leave those institutions because of change and that then accelerates the change yeah as well. So, I mean, because you are, it, it's such an amorphous thing because churches are such a moving target because congregations change every single Sunday, depending on who is in attendance at them. Um, you but know, it's, I, it's hard to know. I also think that this, I think to your consumerism angle, there is an element to this that removes like, not I guess institution and identity or like the way that certainly the the way that institutions become expressions of identity I'm not putting this well but okay so let's I am not perhaps in my heart a United Methodist I am in my heart a Methodist or a um uh a person who deeply connects with John Wesley's presentation of theology, which is like the really, really clunky way to say any of that. But like, I am, again, I I understand. You are Wesleyan. (laughs) I am not, 
like should not in my core be I am for this specific human construction of a denomination that is an institution. I get that. But I am in my heart a Wesleyan, a Methodist, a a, a person who connects with that. And to be a person that connects with that, and maybe this is because she is not a Wesleyan and we are, this is a matter of theology, but to be a Wesleyan is to say, I am connected to other churches. I am right. connected. We are, right. we think of religious movement as a deeply intermeshed system. Right. We call it connectionalism. We have all these fancy Wesley words for it, but like we, we, we believe the in words. a deeply enmeshed thing. And then I, I think about our Catholic brothers and sisters who have that much further than we do that there is there is mother church there this is right there is the vatican there is yeah you don't you you know why you you don't like the catholic church you can leave it not if you really connect some people do leave it because they stop connecting with the core of catholicism but if you think of catholicism as the core of church no you don't you I, i think this is this is useful advice and it is important to think about it that if you hate everything about this thing, you're not going to change everything about this thing. But to me as a person who believes in a, the, you know, the possibility of change, not wrought by me, but wrought by God. And, you know, I guess my job is to discern what is God trying to do and, and be a part of what God is trying to do. But, the, this this uh, assumes an interchangeability of institution, that institution and theology are separate. But what happens right. when to build an interconnected meshed thing that then ends up with a frightening bureaucracy um, is a part of your theological identity, part of right. how you give expression to your value, it is not enough to say, well, if you don't like it, just leave and start your own thing. Like, I mean, that has happened to us in the Methodist church recently, but like there's a huge right. earth shattering thing. I, right. Yeah. I, I, this is, I, I hear it, but also there is a degree to which if this theological expression, this denomination, institution, church, pick your word, is about an interconnectedness than to simply leave the interconnectedness because it doesn't, because you think it needs to change doesn't, is not, it's not so simple. Right. Right. But, and, and this is where you get churches that are not connected, right? This is where you get non-denominational big, I mean, because they operate in a more individualistic way to serve the needs that you perceive are needed for that group of people. Um, So I I would almost draw a line between those denominations that are connected and those that are not um, when using this type of, of logic. But even, you know, we, Mars Hill is the the thing that you and I perhaps know the best because we, uh, (laughs) we deep dived on it, but yep. 
you even think about like you know satellite location so megachurch is still an interconnected system and when that right. unraveled like it was this like deeply painful process because in, in some ways our theology is a theology of interconnection it's just folks like catholics and methodists we perhaps lean harder on right everyone pulls on different pulls harder on different threads right. that happens to be a thread that we pull on but that's why i zoom this out to the capital c church of it is both an agent of god in the world and a thing built by humans and a thing built by humans is always going to need to change to be more like and the agent of god on earth and, and so that that both individually as people who are working for that transformation as well as the body of Christ, you know, the, the body of believers that is the bride of Christ um, working and, in the world for so, change. And so I suspect this is, you know, as with all of these things, they, it's not, it is not clear one way or the other. Cause I have also recently in my own work run into the argument of, if you hate everything about who we are, what are you doing here? Yeah. Right. Like this is a discussions I have had to have in recent history that if you absolutely hate everything about and think everything about who we are is a trash fire, then why are you here? Why are you still here? And, and so this is perhaps a, a cautionary tale, but not an absolute lesson of, if you hate everything about what the thing is, you're not going to change it because some of, for all, you know, certainly for all churches, some of who they are is good because some of who they are is of God and some of who they are is not good because it is human. And right. I guess it's the degree, maybe, maybe this is a question of the degree to which you want to change it, right? You're not going to turn a, you know, uh, or one should not seek to turn a United Methodist Church into a standalone Pentecostal church, right? There's nothing wrong right. with a standalone Pentecostal church in the same way that there's nothing inherently wrong with an interconnected United Methodist Church. But right. the, this is a difference of degree, right? Yes. That we, as this is understanding, like, what's the DNA and what's the disease? Yeah. Right? That... You don't want to root out the DNA, but as church leaders, as church people, I think, you know, maybe, maybe I just read too much Wesley in the Reformation, right? But there's this like constant, like the church has constantly needed reformation. Like Martin mm -hmm. Luther, yes, noped out of the Catholic church, but did not nope out of the church. Right. And... I don't know. I this is so. So is it that you're just trying to make it less prideful and less prejudiced, or is it that you are trying to fundamentally change the person that they are, right. the, the DNA the, of the yeah, organization? Yeah, I, I think that is it, right? That back mm -hmm. to Darcy and Lizzie, because this is right. You know, <laughs> this is a useful point of reference. It is. <laughs> I think Darcy changed. I don't think Darcy's character changed. I think. Right. I think Darcy's character was always good. Right. It's just that they went on a journey of discovery to find in know, the same way how to get the pride out of the way. Right. That Lizzie changed some, but I think, mm -hmm. her, I think part of what Austin is setting up is they both changed the same amount. 
yeah. that they meet in the middle. That, yeah. you know, neither of the first impressions they had were good. Um, right. That, you know, Darcy comes to see this other side of Lizzie, Lizzie comes to see this other side of Darcy, and they meet in the middle. And right. I think as we approach this idea of restarting a church, which is inherently like a change process, right? it is discerning. What is the DNA? What is the essential right. character here that is good, assuming that there is something good here? And but, redeemable. And Absolutely. Redeemable. But also, God is in the change, behavior change business. Right. That grace, the assumption of grace, at least as I understand it, is not just that I love you for who you are, but that I'm going to help you be who you've always the best. meant to be. The best version of you, who you have always meant to be. That's right. Yeah, you know, I, you know, Wesley, you know, two Methodist pastors, turns out. Uh, th- <laughs> this is, you know, this is a, a very John Wesley, uh, John Wesley perspective on grace as applied to an institution. Right? right. That just as humans are in a process of sanctification, the church, capital C, and denomination, lowercase d, is in a process of sanctification, that we are always on a journey to become who God meant us to be. And the people around us, people in our lives as humans, and the people who live within the institution as institutional church are a part of God doing that work and shaping that. And so I I don't, I don't want to give up on, I don't want to give up on sanctification. I really don't want to give up on transformation. (laughs) I really do. I really do believe that the core of what we are doing as Christians is that on our own, can we change? No. Can we change for the positive? We can change for the negative, but on our own, can we change for the good? No, maybe not with God. uh, Now that we're talking because that, (laughs) that is actual change. Thank you so much for joining us on this. The, Okay, this is a show we've been doing, but now we're doing it in a spinoff form so that it appears separately in the feed. Maybe so that these two things, the scripture part, the goodness of God, and how to restart a church can breathe on their own a little. Anyways, if you have feedback or want to tell your stories of what it's like to get a church going, email us at thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. That is thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. We would love to make what you have to say a part of our show. You can find us, if you are looking for us, at Servants Now on all the things. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and ServantsNow.org. Everything we do here in the Media Lab is made possible by a generous grant by the Texas Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. If you would like to support our work right now, like, comment, subscribe, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of those things help more people find out about what it is that we are doing. Also, go in peace to love and serve the Lord, and we'll see you next time.